when you give advice, do you wonder if people actually hear you? Like, will they actually heed your words? Or do they just go do whatever they want anyway and you wasted your breath? In my opinion, people ask for advice in hopes that you'll just confirm what it is they want to hear. That you'll confirm their opinion. And when you don't, you get ignored. And then you get to go be frustrated because you get to watch them do the dead opposite of what you discussed. I mean, that's fine, honestly. It's their life to live. And just because you experience something similar doesn't mean it'll translate to someone's perception of their own situation. Then there's another side of advice that I never considered until I was much older. So I postulate to you this. What if they do listen? What if they heed every word down to the punctuation? Great. Well, let's go a step further. What if they heed every word and are not experiencing reality from the same perspective as you? What if your greatest of intentions has been spun into a web of self-destruction and personal harm? What happens when our kindest and most meaningful words are interpreted as a blueprint, like a schematic to how someone will view the entire world when they take that specific piece of advice and make it a blanket rule? That sure as shit isn't my intent when I give my two cents, but yo, let me tell you how I did exactly that to a piece of advice given to me throughout my life. My name is Jason Farias, and this, this is my madness method. To start any of these episodes by saying something like where I'm from would be a lie and a disservice to this story because where I'm from is a far cry from where I was and where I ended up. I think it'd be better said the mindset from which I operate. Because for me, success had always been the only possible outcome. So I never even noticed whether or not I was actually winning or losing at the time. And I certainly never bothered celebrating what would be considered a win because what else is supposed to be happening? And what I mean by that is I hadn't noticed by this time in the story, I was far from selling grams or quarter ounces of dope. I didn't bother weighing less than a quarter pound for dealers, though I would weigh maybe an ounce or something like that for folks that I knew were getting it for personal use. Hell, I'll tell you what, I could eyeball an ounce within a half a gram. I would even make bets that if it's under by more than a half a gram, I would weigh it to accurate and then throw whatever I was off on top. If I was on, if I was within a half a gram, then they had to pack my bowl and leave. And, you know, to tie a little bit in to the intro here and try to make sense of my ramblings, you know, I had taken advice that I heard repeated on several occasions by many different people going all the way back to when I was younger from my uncle. And I was always taught, you know, act as if, okay, you've always act like you belong there, either because you do or until you do. I got to tell you, it's like a gateway drug to imposter syndrome. <laughs> Act as if. All right, let me help make some sense of this here. So Cindy and I are hanging out. We were in our apartment there in uh, Harbor Island. And I get a call one night, and it's Robin. And Robin is, of all places, at this place called Ice Meta Club. Now, this Ice Meta Club, if I remember correctly, there was actually a uh, 
a reality show filmed there in like 2004 or five or something like that. But it was on the corner of the same block I lived on. And Robin called and she needed some shit. And it was a peculiar situation because one, I was a long way from making my own deliveries. But on top of that, like I couldn't send the backpack boys because the medic club wasn't on the strip. Right. So the backpack boys couldn't go there. And I was in my area, right? Remember the rules. You got to stay in your area. So I guess this one was on me. And I was like, fuck, I got to go make a delivery. All right. Well, this is bizarre. Like I've never went and made a drop at a club in Vegas, but my tweaker tendencies kicked in. And I started thinking, I'm like, how am I supposed to hand over a bag of dope in a club? And I swear to God, I look over. And there was some food, I don't know if it was fucking Jack in the Box or Burger King or wherever it is we'd eaten, but I'm seeing the straws sitting on the table and I'm like, huh, no shit. So anyway, I'm on the phone with Robin. She's telling me she needs something. My wheels are turning and I'm checking out these straws and I'm having this moment, this great idea, right? And all she tells me when we go to get off the phone is, uh, just find me in the pink room. I'm like, those are bizarre instructions. She was like, oh, and just tell them at the door that Robin's waiting for you. Fair enough. Cool. No problem. So I get off the phone and and I uh, I pull out a nice wife beater. And, and it's not one of them like country ass ones. Like I spent good money on even my undershirts. Right. And so I ironed my nice white undershirt. So I got my tank top ironed. I get out a really nice white tee and I iron that up real well. Always clean kicks, always super clean shoes. And I had this pair of sweats. It, they were Gucci sweats, right? So they were like a like a light sort of fuzzy look to them, right? Because sort of just like standard ass sweats, right? But then there was like this shiny sort of stitching and it was the Gucci emblem. And they were like one by one inch Gucci emblems. And they were, you know, a few inches apart, but they were the whole pattern all over the entire sweats. And they fit really well, so... I got these cleaned up and I slid those on. Now, just let me be real clear here. I'm headed to a nightclub in Las Vegas in a t-shirt and sweats. <laughs> just to put it in perspective. And then I get to work on bagging up what she's looking for. But this time I'm not going to bag it up. I'm going to take the straws that weren't used. And I'm going to tear the paper and carefully slide the straw out. And I'm going to melt one end of the straw and close it and close it. And I'd like try to blow through it. You know, not too hard to create condensation in it but just enough to see if i've got a good seal on the bottom and then i persisted to just fill up the straw full of dope all the way to the top and i filled a couple of them like that once i was done i did the same thing to the top i sealed it and i closed it and i tried to slide it back in the paper and well guess what when you pinch those things it creates little corners and that shit didn't work out to my favor and i thought well this is waterproof right supposedly I mean, in theory, no fluid's going to get in it from any holes. And they're expecting me at the door anyway. So I take my cup and there's nothing in it. I put a little ice, leave it at the bottom, and I slide the straws in the cup and I walk down the street. And I head over to this ice meta club. And I get there and there's, there's a line around the corner. It had to have been, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And there was a line. It wasn't a long one, um, but there was definitely a line and... You know, it was girls with their titties out and their dresses too short and dudes with quote-unquote dress shirts that needed to be buttoned up a little further. I don't know what that whole vibe is. Like, why dudes, when they go to the club, they got to not button their shit up right. Get your fucking shit together, bro. 
but I just walked right past all these folks in their nice clothes and they're waiting and all this. And I just acted like I belonged. Yo, man, Robin's waiting for me. Oh, yeah. And I go, no cover, no nothing. I mean, I, I took I took like three steps in and I was like, oh, that's a dick move. And I took like three steps in reverse and I slipped, dude. I don't know if it was a 20 or a 50, but I threw him something. And in the club I go, and this place was weird. There was like separate rooms, different areas. And in one of the rooms, they would pump in like a fog machine. But this was like extra thick fog. And the first thing I thought, like, I mean, you're talking probably chest level down, depending on your height, thick fog. And I'm like, there's no way they could see me smoking dope if I squatted down and walked through this dance floor. All right, I'm going to earmark that. I'm going to come back to it. And so I'm just kind of roaming around, right? And 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 I, I'm just supposed to be looking for the pink room. And sure as shit, like I, there was a like an ultra lounge one, and then there was just sort of the the standard club area. But then there was this room, and sure as shit, man, everything was pink and fuzzy. The fucking tables, the walls, I like it was really obnoxious. But this is where the girls were. This is where Robin was. And this whole time, still mind you, I'm walking into this club with a Jack in the Box or Burger King fucking cup with two straws hanging out of it. And nobody thought nothing of it. Like, I think I might have even gone as far as to pretend to drink out of them. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know who the fuck I'm fooling. But I find Robin. Hey, what's up, girl? And I, I hand her the drink. She's like, what? And then she looked at it. She saw what I had done. And I, like, shook it. And, you know, about our business we went. And, and I hung out for a while. And she did whatever she was doing with that. I knew I'd get my money later. I'm not exchanging any cash in public. I don't, I don't do that shit. But while I was there, she introduced me to two other girls. This one girl named Maya, this white little blonde girl. And, and this other girl, Tristan. Now my money's on that. Neither of those girls names were their actual names. Remember we're in the cartoon where everybody doesn't give their government name. But, you know, hey, hi, Maya. Hi, Tristan. How you doing? Whatever. But my head is still, hey, I want to go smoke some dope on the dance floor in this fucking club. <laughs> and Robin, like, giggled, and she walked with me. And they didn't pump it in, like, consistently, right? So you had to, like, wait. I had a drink, and she and I were bullshitting. And she was like, yeah, I'll come by. I'll bring the money. Is it cool if, you know, the girls come with? And I was like, yeah, I'll just let Cindy know. It's, you know, not that big of a deal. Just let me give her a heads up and shit. And, and yeah, cool. And then the, the fog starts pumping in. I look over at Robin, and she just laughs. And, of course, I had my bubble, my pipe, and my sock. So I pull that out. I always carried a torch lighter. Torch lighters get it nice and hot fast and don't make a lot of, you know, big flame or whatever. And as soon as the fuck got big enough, I fucking squatted down on the dance floor and took a big ass hit off my pipe and exhaled. And you couldn't tell. You stand up and exhale that shit. But the fog was everywhere. I was tickled. I thought it was hilarious that I could go in this club to smoke dope, smoking meth on the dance floor to club and nobody was the wiser. You know, there were, I, I remember seeing camera crews and shit because there was this reality show that they were filming and I didn't really know nothing about it. I didn't really have time for TV back then. It was either business or sleep. It was a good night. It was fun. I had gone back there a few times after that, you know, because it was within my region, quote unquote, right? That was my coverage area. And when Robin was there, I would always take some. And, you know, I actually wound up making friends with a couple of the bouncers up front, and and they got hip to the game with the straw in the cup. And sometimes when I got there and I knew that they were partying or sometimes, 
if they just I just needed them to pass it on to Robin, I'd just hand it to them and they'd take care of it. And I'd always throw like an extra, like I'd cut a straw in half, right? And I'd do the same melty thing on each end and I'd tell them the small one and there's yours and I'd fuck, I'd hook the bouncers up here, bro. Get fucked up. You know, you got to take care of your people that are taking care of you. I was making good ass money out of that club. But anyway, I digress. That original night runs on. I'm good. I'm leaving. Like club scenes, never really my thing. So I go home. I explain to Cindy what happened. She fucking rolls her eyes because at this point, nothing fucking surprises this girl. But we just wind up hanging out. And I, I don't know. I think it had to have been probably three, four. Hell, I know it was before the sun came up. But anyway, Robin comes over and she's with Maya. And Tristan's not there, which I thought she was going to be there. But anyway, it was just Robin and Maya. But then Maya's like, hey, my man's with me. And I was like, wait a minute, your man. I was like, fucking, weren't you were tricking with Robin at the fucking club? Like, you know what? Like, I, I'm, I should stop being surprised when I find out shit like this. But Maya's got this, this man, Saeed. Saeed's this little stocky black dude. He was cool. He's a little wiry. His eyes darted around too much. I wasn't like super keen on it, but, but he was all right. You know, so Robin comes, she takes care of me, gives me the money. You know, I set her up for the next day. Maya and Saeed come to find out her, I don't know, in and out of hotels, staying in their car. They had this old fucked up bright yellow Mazda 6 and their shit was just packed in there. And the only reason I knew that is because when Robin was leaving, I walked out with her and was like, hey, why don't you guys come with me to have a smoke? Because I wanted to see what they were in. I wanted to know what kind of situation I was in. I wanted to see what they were driving, how to keep track of these folks. And we go outside and we have a cigarette and Saeed's just like talking and talking and talking and talking. And this was where he piped up and he's like, hey, man, I, uh. I met these guys over at the club and they were like, hit me up. Yo, man, can you get me some crack? This and that. And I was like, crack, like who the fuck does crack anymore? Where I'm from California, Nevada, it doesn't matter. Like crack was like the black community epidemic where meth was the white community epidemic. So the fact that Saeed was telling me that he was looking for crack, I'll be honest with you. I made a preconceived notion as to for whom this would have been. And, yo, I was, like, I was, like, way fucking wrong. So, Robin goes home. Maya and Saeed stay behind. And I'm, like, yeah, it's fine. We'll party. We'll hang out. Whatever. I make an agreement that, hey, uh, I could probably get my hands on some crack for this guy. Let me let me make a call. And uh, I reach out to Saya. And Saya's, like, yeah. He's, like, as a matter of fact, do you remember that dude that you slapped? Fucking blah, blah, blah. So, the guy going back to one of the the original part of the story of Vegas, that dude that sent his girl over with less money than she needed to buy the drug she wanted. He was actually the guy that could get us the crack. So I was like, you got to fucking be kidding me, bro. All right, we'll make it happen. This guy's coming over. And so Saeed makes a call and he goes out to meet him. I don't know if he went back and met him at the club. He was gone 15, 20 ish minutes and, Admittedly, I started getting nervous, but then I was like, nah, you know what, maybe, maybe whatever. Like, let me, I'm, I might just be tripping because I just met the guy. So, so Saeed comes back and he taps on the door and now Maya had stayed behind. So maybe that was where my comfort came in is the fact he left his girl behind. Maybe if they both left and both tried to come back, I would have found that odd. You know what, who knows what a drug addict's brain makes him think. Anyway, 
Saeed comes back and he taps on the door and he's with two Asian guys. And he's like, yo, this is this is Hero and Roy, which I later learned Roy's real name was Royan or Royan or something like that. I don't know, but we called him Roy. And I, I'll be honest with you, I was like surprised. You know, I'm like fucking Asian guy smoking crack. Like, this is where the fuck am I? What what's happening here? But as it turns out, man, Hero and I just absolutely hit it off. I felt while I was talking to this dude, like I had known this dude my whole life. You know, I I had my pipe out and I was smoking some dope and I wanted to, you know, make sure this guy was at least on the straight and narrow. Because here's the thing, man, if you're going to smoke crack, you're going to smoke meth. Like, let's be real fucking honest here, okay? And so I, you know, hey, man, you want some of this? He's a hell yeah. And so he started hitting that. He's like, I like this stuff. But he's like, I just, when I'm partying on a party night, dude, I like to do some crack. And I'm like, that's, that's weird, but all right. It was probably, I don't know, 30 minutes later, I get a tap on my door, and it's that fucking dude that I slapped. And I'm like, this guy's bouncing off the walls. Yo, man, come on. I say, yo, you need to calm the fuck down, bro. I said, let me step out, because he was trying to step into my apartment. You ain't coming in my place, bro. I'm fucking tell you that right now. And so, if you remember, like, Caddy Corner just outside my door is the elevator to get the other levels of the building that I lived in. I was like, let's step in the elevator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we step in the elevator, and I'm like, all right, what you got? And I swear to God, I had my hand out, like expecting him to sit something in my hand. And when I tell you that this motherfucker spit out two little bags of fucking crack out of his mouth into my hand, I like the time warp slowed down, and I looked at him, and I looked at my hand, and I, I was like, there's spit in my hand, and I was... I just closed my fist and I beat the fuck out of this dude. Looking back, you want to talk about the evolution of violence in my life. Dude, that was never, that would have never been a knee jerk reaction going back to Jason and Manteca. Okay. But that was my immediate reaction. I just started swinging on this dude. And here we are in a closed fucking elevator. Where the fuck is he going? So now for the second time, the second time I ever met this dude, I'm whooping his ass. I mean, it, it, it's not like this was some like long drawn out. I might have hit the dude three, four, five times and kicked him a few times on his way down. And I looked at my hand again and I, I wiped the two baggies and the, the, the spit off on his shirt. And then I picked up the two baggies and put them back in my hand. And I took the money out of my pocket and I threw it on him. And I walked the fuck out of the elevator. And I walk into my apartment and, you know, Hero is in there and, and Roy's in there and Cindy's there and everybody's looking at me all crazy. And I was like, you're not going to fucking believe what just happened. And I fucking, I told him and Hero was like, not with a ton of approval, right? Now, mind you, again, I had just met this guy, but whatever reason, man, he and I clicked and I could tell that what just happened to me in that elevator, like really resonated with Hero. And here's why it resonated with Hero. Once I stopped loading the pipe with meth, and once Hero got to smoking his crack, Saeed and Maya found it in their best interest to leave, I guess, because the, their interests had ended for the evening. You know, so I was like, hey, man, you know, here's my number, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're more than welcome to come by any time. Just let me know you're on your way, so on and so forth. And they leave now heroes fucking i mean smoking 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 
I didn't even make him pay for it. I think I bought him 50 or 80, maybe even a hundred bucks worth of crack. Like I bought him a good amount. Like I don't buy little tiny. When, when I tell you this dude spit out two tiny rocks, you got to think about how much meth I'm selling. But this was probably a hundred bucks worth of rock, you know, because I'm not trying to have a new friend look at me and think I'm cheap. And man, he's just smoking his shit. But Hero wound up getting good and on one. And he looks over, he's like, hey, man, you mind if I take my shirt off? And I was like, uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, fine. You want me to turn the air on? And he's like, nah, that'll fuck my flame up. And I was like, yeah, okay, fuck it. Well, fine, bro, go for it. And he took his shirt off, but he had a wife beater on under it, so it was no big deal. And the one thing that I noticed, and the one thing I keyed in on, and I'm telling you right now, if there was something that, that shouldn't have been said, it was what exactly I was going to say. But he had this giant tiger tattoo that came like over his chest. I'm trying to remember it. If it went over his back onto his chest or up his chest onto his arm. Anyway, it was a massive tiger tattoo. And the, I mean, without fucking hesitation, I was like, damn, hero, you might want to hide that shit. You fucking bitch ass is going to get in trouble. Fucking people thinking you're fucking triad or something running around with that fucking phony ass tiger tattoo. And when I tell you that his dude, Roy, looked at me with the biggest fucking eyes an Asian can make, this dude looked at me like, what the fuck did you just say? And let me tell you, you know what I didn't notice was the fact he was looking at me that way. And I just kept in. I'm like, ooh, so you're a fucking, you're a Yakuza, you're a fucking triad, ooh, big scary guy, why don't you smoke some more crack? Like, I was really fucking going in on this guy. And at no point did I stop to go, hey, man, are you associated? Are you affiliated? Fucking no. Fuck no, I didn't do that. I immediately started talking shit. Now, Roy uh, made no mention of nothing. You could tell he was made very uncomfortable. But Hero laughed about it. And... You know, after some time went by and Hero and I got to know each other better, he just, he was laughing. He even shared with me, he was laughing because he knew I had no fucking idea whether or not he was really associated or not. And he appreciated the fact that I didn't give a fuck either way. Because, I mean, here's the thing, you guys. I mean, there's two options here, right? Either he is or he isn't. I had a 50-50 chance of being right. The the thought that he is never fucking crossed my mind. I just immediately assumed he was full of shit. I mean, you got to realize, like, a lot of the people I deal with in the dope game, they're full of shit. Like, everybody's got a fucking story. Everybody's got a fucking association or affiliation or some fucking grimy thing they've done, and they love to brag about it. So you learn to take that shit with, like, a grain of salt because... Half of these motherfuckers are lying and the other half just aren't sure really what they're saying. There was a long, a long eventful night hanging out with Hero. Hero wound up staying like well into the next day. Like I even think him and Roy wound up crashing out on my couch and we got up and sort of just got back to partying. But in a, you know, 20-ish hour period... I made a delivery at a nightclub where I smoked a dope openly on the dance floor. <laughs> I I hung out in a pink room with fuzzy walls. Okay. I uh, met a few new friends and I talked shit to what I should now presume to be 
a member of some Asian gang. Now, I'm not going to sit here and presume that he was or was not, but I will share the story that Roy shared with me while Hero was still asleep. He says, hey, man, all that talk about Hero's tattoo, and I was like, oh, good, he's finally in on it, right? I thought he was going to start talking some shit or, or let me know how Hero really felt, whatever it was. He goes, um, Hero is part of, and then explain to me what gang he was part of. And he's currently here because he's on the run because he kidnapped a diplomat's daughter. And I said, oh, all right. And I swear to God, you guys, like I blew this off so fast because again, there's two things here. One, either I don't want to know anything more or you're lying. And in either case, I don't want to continue down this road any further. I immediately giggled about it and I dismissed it and was like, hey, man, do you want to get high? Because <laughs> I need you to shut the fuck up. So now in the back of my mind, my fucking wheels are turning. Now I'm reversing engineering the entire night again. I'm like, first of all, you know, I know Robin doesn't necessarily know every fucking every chick that's tricking out there, okay? So she, did she really know this bitch, Maya, okay? How come I didn't know anything about this dude, Saeed? He shows up at my house. He's a little sketchy. Now I got this guy asking me for crack, and I'm talking shit about what his gang... Like, I'm reverse engineering the entire night. And what's wild is usually by the end of those, I have some kind of summation as to how I feel about what's going on. And in this situation, I did not... I did not. I did not consider my current situation and whether or not at that point I was winning or losing. The only thing I ever considered was that I need to act as if. I need to act as if everybody I know is a fucking gangster. I also need to act as if everybody I know is affiliated to something scary. And equally, I need to act as if everybody I'm talking to is fucking lying to me anyway. I need to act like I've been there before. Because what you're not going to find me doing, you're not going to find me fangirling out on anybody. You're not going to find me slipping. And you're certainly not going to see me scared, whether I am or not. And, and to be perfectly honest, and not at that time did I realize it, but today looking back at that point, there was not an ounce of fear of death. There was a reason that I went to the Meta Club by myself. I could have found somebody. I could have called Saya, or I could have called fucking Joey or Ryan, or I mean, I could have called any of the fucking the Bone Thugs. You know what I mean? I could have called the Shade or Dolly. I could have called any of those guys, and I could have sent them. But this was new, and it sounded like fun, and so I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm gonna do it myself. And when I walked up to that club. You know what? If I was being set up, it is what it is. If somebody's going to take me out, how am I going to stop it? But you're not going to catch me slipping. And you're not going to catch me looking scared. And you know, that that mindset, they, fuck that mindset still runs with me. You know, there's times where, where I'm not the confident person I need to be. But admittedly, like, I don't know how to show you when I'm not confident. I don't know how to show you when I'm sad. I don't know how, and I'm trying to figure that out. 
because I tell you, being able to understand my own emotions during this time in Las Vegas might have saved me a lot of heartache. There's a lot more. There's a lot more that I wish I would have paid attention to, you know, but so much, so much happened from the meeting of Saeed and Hero. I appreciate you listening. Hit me up, mymadnessmethod819 at Gmail, uh, mymadnessmethod on Instagram. Take care of yourselves. We're going to get through this, man. This story's getting wild. I appreciate you. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. Hey, you can get caught in the club, but roll with